Welcome to So Wait Pause, the podcast where we pair a good and bad movie and get drunk while we do it. This is Ashley, and I'm with my favorite drinking buddy, Sean. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good. It is so hot. It is so hot. So, so hot. Uh, also, so on campus, they have three machines that create all of the AC on, on campus. Uh, they don't have like individual units or something like that. Like three for the entire campus or three for like the main building? I don't remember which. I just briefly I even, glanced over. I don't even over. know how you can have a AC unit that's not attached to a building. I don't understand how all of it works, but I just glanced over the thing because the only reason this is important is because a number of offices on campus are not getting any air conditioning because two of those three units of whatever they are are out. Some of the offices were getting up to like 85 degrees inside the office. Ugh. So today... I got to campus, it was like almost 100 degrees outside walking there. So I was like so sweaty by the time I got to campus. Mm -hmm. I walked in and the office was so hot. And I was like, oh my God, don't tell me that we're one of the offices that doesn't have AC. Mm -hmm. No, turns out one of my coworkers just had cranked up to 80. <laughs> like had literally cranked up the AC to 80. Oh my God. So uh, we turned it back on and then everything was fine. But I'm like... I'm like telling you like I'm like the type of person as if you don't know because you're married to me and live with me mm -hmm. but like as you know I keep our house as a tundra so I like it at 67 68 degrees yeah you kept it so cold that you froze our unit and destroyed our ceiling because it froze and then overflowed the pan and then uh... I don't know if we can say I did that I think mm -hmm. um a faulty uh installation was the true cause I just didn't help it. Right. Yes. And it wasn't the first time you froze a unit. You froze our unit downtown as well. Do you remember that? But the unit I, was like in the laundry room so we could open it and see that it was frozen. I sure do. Yep. That happened. So I like a cold house. Sue me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit colder than, than usual. Yeah. But yesterday, like it was like the house was set on 67 and it was like 72 degrees inside. And I was like, this is it. The HVAC is going out. We're done. I mean, it's brand new. If yeah, it's going out, then we got it they would exactly fix it for free. Yeah. yeah. It's, it has to be under warranty. Well, yeah, it is. I was just more concerned for the th thought of me having to be in a hot house again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As the people like a few weeks ago were in like 117 degree weather. Right. I will never live in a house, apartment, anything without air conditioning. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we don't ever leave the South, then that's never going to happen. Yeah. There's very few parts of the country that still have no AC. Right. And I also realize how bratty I sound right now and that, like, karma should come back and get me and get to the point where, like, oh, see, you live in a region with AC, but you can't afford it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I can barely afford what we have already. So Emmy nominations came out yesterday. They did. Yep. I'm very happy to see that WandaVision got 23 they're the second highest, uh, The Crown and The Mandalorian tied for 24 nominations. I'm so sick of The Crown. I don't care about The Crown. You never watched The Crown. I saw a few episodes. You didn't even see an episode, Sean. No, I sat down and tried to watch one episode, and it was so boring that well, I turned it off. Yeah, that's how I felt when I tried to watch it, too. But then I decided this past year that I was just going to go for it. And God, I love it. It's so good. So here's the thing. So uh, a few of my friends, they're big into history and whatever. And so they recommended I watch The Crown because they like The Crown. And I, I just couldn't take it. I tried to watch it. It was boring. And then you watch the newer seasons, you know, in bed sometimes. And I couldn't even watch that. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I find it so boring. I, I mean, but I also didn't like other 
you know, things that were set in earlier time periods. Like, period pieces are not my thing. Yeah, but, like, like the 60s and 70s and the 90s are not period pieces. No, but that's not where The Crown started. And, I mean, it was before the 70s, right? I mean, yeah, it like, kind of starts, like, in the 50s. But, I mean, like, current seasons in the 90s. Yeah, but even then, it's, like, not in the 90s that I care about, right? Wow. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who said they didn't care about the Princess Diana era. No, I mean, like, I know about, like, her death and things like that, but I just don't care about what she was doing. I mean, we were young. Like, that had no impact on our lives. Okay. Minus when I was in first or second grade, and she died in the Elton John cover. <laughs> That's literally all you can think of. <laughs> it's not even a cover, because he, like, just altered his own song. So. Candle in the Wind, right? Candle in the Wind, yeah. Sean thought that Candle in the Wind was written for Princess Diana dying. No, no, no. I, I knew that it wasn't. Uh, that was not the debate we were having. Oh. The debate we were having was whether the original Candle in the Wind, written for Marilyn Monroe or Norma Jean, as the song says, was <laughs> as... So, like, which one was more famous? When he sang it then or when he sang it at Princess Diana's funeral? And my argument was that it became more famous and more culturally impactful when he sang it at Princess Diana's funeral. I mean, possibly. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it was like when Marilyn Monroe died. And is that even the time period that he did he release it right when she died? Or was it like well after she died? I have no clue. Well, again, um, you're going to be really happy to know. Uh, who do you think the host is of the Emmys this year? It's going to be in September. Give me a guess. No, I just want you to think of who do you think is going to host of the Emmys? Yeah. Um, is it a TV person? Just guess somebody. OK, well, here's the thing. Recently, all of the hosts for all the award shows have been either Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, which have now done three times or something, mm -hmm. Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, like between those mm -hmm. two. I feel like those are like, Jimmy Kimmel has done it multiple times mm -hmm. now. Uh, Seth MacFarlane did it. Mm -hmm. um, so who's your guess? Ricky Gervais did it. I honestly don't know. I thought I had heard that, what is his name? The comedian that went into rehab, but he's in rehab, so he, he can't do it. Aren't all the comedians going to rehab? The really famous one, he John does, Mulaney? Yeah, John Mulaney. He I, had I think done, he's out of rehab now, but I don't know. Oh, uh, well, so he had done an award show. Uh, I want to say that it was the, I don't remember which one, but he did a, an award show. I saw a clip of it. Um, he did it with Nick Kroll, mm. <laughs> but it was one of the like lesser known award shows. <laughs> I think it was like the independent. It was called a roast on Comedy Central. <laughs> no, it was not a roast. So it can't be him. I don't know. I don't even have a guess. Okay, well, you've really ruined the comedic element of this because it's Cedric the Entertainer, which you were never going to guess. No, how would I ever guess that? I know, but that's the funny thing because I wanted you to be like Jimmy Kimmel. And I'm like, no, Cedric the Entertainer. Oh, well, I thought you were being serious. Cedric the Entertainer, though... The only reason that I have been paying attention to him recently is because I've been going back and rewatching all of the new Whose Line Is It Anyway shows. Mm -hmm. So for anybody out there who loved Whose Line Is It Anyway, you may or may not know that it came back on the CW. That was in like 2013 that it came back. It has had seasons ever since. It didn't stop making new seasons. So it's mostly Wayne Brady, Colin Mockery, Ryan Stiles, and then they rotate a fourth person. But one of the differences with the original is that they now have guest stars every episode for, for the most part. And Cedric the Entertainer was on multiple of them. They've also had like Penn and Teller and um, what's her name that did uh, the show with Regis? Kathy Lee Gifford. Kathy Lee Gifford. Uh, she was on there. A whole bunch of famous people. And then also a bunch of like all the CW actors that are in like Vampire Diaries and so stuff. So Kathy Lee or was it Kelly Ripa? Both. They both separately came 
came on. Oh, you mean, no, no, no. I, I thought you meant was, which one was his co <laughs> No, co-host. I know that one. Yeah. I was asking you. No, it was Kathleen Gifford. Oh, I have a question for you. Speaking of Wayne Brady, uh-huh. um, do you think that it's fair that in the outstanding lead actor in a limited series or TV movie, both Lin-Manuel Miranda and Leslie Odom Jr. are nominated for Hamilton, whereas like they're up against like Paul Bettany for WandaVision and like Hugh Grant for The Undoing? Just because of the Disney Plus one? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like they've won enough. I don't know. See, that's kind of how I want to be. But then I think about the complete shit show that the past year has been and the things that brought me the most joy in a dark time. And Hamilton on Disney Plus brought me a lot of joy. Yeah, but then at that point, you, you like you literally recorded something that you already did live and already won Tony's. So it's like, I don't know, like it almost shouldn't be allowed, right? Because like yeah. you, you literally recorded yourself doing a live play. It wasn't right. a theatrical version of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. They literally recorded something that happened that you could go to physically, right? That you mm-hmm. could go to live. They recorded it and then they were able to double the awards that they won, which like, you know, whatever. I mean, I agree. Like the Hamilton on uh, Disney Plus is great, but... I don't know. And also, like, at this point, Hamilton has been out for a while and it's been getting acclaim for a long time. Right. And to, like, keep getting acclaim because they keep finding ways to change things minimally (laughs) to, like, stay in the news. But here's the bigger question. How was there a nomination for Hamilton, but not for music? Oh, my God. (laughs) Can you imagine if it said that he was nominated (laughs) for the role in music? (laughs) Was it David Diggs that was in it, or was it Leslie Odom Jr.? Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah, there we go. And the Outstanding Limited Series, here's what's nominated. Tell me what you think deserves to win. Actually, don't. You've only seen two of these, so. Between WandaVision and Mayor of Easttown, who would you? Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. I don't know. WandaVision really changed the game, though. I don't know. It was Loki too late to be nominated? Yeah. Um, one, Loki's not better than either of those two things. But you had to be airing um, between June 1st of 2020 and May 31st of 21 to be eligible. Um, yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Loki, I think, is deserving of awards uh, or to at least be nominated. WandaVision was the first to do it. Sure. Loki was also really, really good. I, I completely agree. Like great acting performances, just like in WandaVision. A really good storyline. I mean, everything about Loki was on par with WandaVision. I almost agree with that. I would say that they're equally good. For different audiences, they would prefer one or the other. I think that WandaVision is more deserving in that it very much revolutionized a format of how we think of television. While also in every single episode having to change the type of character they were playing. Because it would change with the era sitcom they were doing. Yeah, at least for like half of the season. Throughout the entire season, up until the very end. Mm, Was it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Because I forgot how short it was. All the uh, seasons of the new ones were were pretty short. Because Loki was only six episodes. Yeah. That's insane. Yep. But, I mean, again, if you haven't seen Loki, and especially if you haven't seen WandaVision, go watch those. Yes. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, watch it one time or don't. But <laughs> just watch the last episode. That's it. That's all you need to watch. <laughs> there are aspects of Falcon and the Winter Soldier that are worth watching, and you should watch it. And it'll play into the next arc and whatever, but it just wasn't as inventive. And I kind of wish it was. Right. Because I feel like having 
you know, Falcon become the next Captain America should have been more of a a thing. That's the whole kind of focus of that series. But at the same time, it just it didn't feel as like innovative or fresh as Loki or WandaVision. And I feel like that's kind of like a disservice because they turned the new Captain America just into another one of their old timey, like what we've been seeing. It's like the hero thing that we've seen for like the last 20 years. Right. It's like it was not new. It was Mm -hmm. the only of the three new uh, series that Mm-hmm. wasn't new in any way. Right. Uh, which, I don't know. I feel like they could have gone a lot of cool ways with it, and they didn't. Yeah. But whatever. Well, lest we become a Disney plus Marvel podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so tonight is your movie night. Remind everyone what you chose. So for the good movie, we're watching Phone Booth. And for those of you who don't remember Phone Booth, it came out in, I think, 2002. It was early 2000s. I think it's 2002. I have a synopsis pulled up. Yeah, you can go ahead and read the synopsis. But one thing about this, I forgot how many famous people are in this. And don't read the cast. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, I I only know one person in it. Yeah, well, no, there's a lot of famous people in it. And I don't want you, because you have not seen this. No. Okay, then I don't want you to read. Well, wait, I'll read the synopsis. No, I already have it pulled up. I won't look at the cast. And there aren't names in the synopsis? Uh, No, just Colin Farrell. Okay. Which I knew. Okay. So the synopsis says, a phone call can change your life. But for one man, it can also end it. Oof. Set entirely within and around the confines of a New York City phone booth, Phone Booth follows a slick media consultant, Colin Farrell, who is trapped after being told by a caller, a caller, a caller, drink, a serial killer with a sniper rifle, that he'll be shot dead if he hangs up. Yeah, so I can't remember too much about the plot. I mean, the whole thing is in a phone booth. That's what it just said. Mm-hmm. So there's one setting, which mm-hmm. like, did you ever see the Ryan Reynolds one where he's buried? I think it's called Buried. No, like that is that I, I could not. I'm too claustrophobic to be able to handle something like that. I watched it when it first came out. And honestly, it was fantastic. But it was another thing where it's like the phone booth, like you still see things around the phone booth, but it's all set mm-hmm. in a phone booth. Buried was him buried in a coffin underground, right? And he's trying to get out because mm-hmm. he was like buried alive or whatever. Mm-hmm. Also really good. Probably one of the first things where Ryan Reynolds tried to th- shift from comedy acting into being like a more serious. Because mm-hmm. there was a big transition between early 2000s Ryan Reynolds and then later 2000s plus Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Where he went from doing only bad movies mm-hmm. to working in good movies mm-hmm. in with everything else. And mm-hmm. he still does bad movies because of Hitman's Bodyguard and <laughs> all those series that he keeps doing. Mm-hmm. But... One thing I did read about this, because I was just looking up, trying to refresh my memory a little bit. I can't remember who the director is, but Michael Bay was offered a directing role on this. Mm -hmm. Because Michael Bay was doing everything at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Michael Bay said when he was asked about directing the movie Mm -hmm. was, how can we get him out of the phone booth? (laughs) (laughs) So he did not like the idea of just having one, like one setting. Mm-hmm. I guess you can't blow up a phone booth. And so he didn't get to use his dramatic right. uh, <laughs> CGI effects. So I can't find any drinking rules for this movie. Really? Yeah. Having not seen it, I can't recommend drinking rules. Hmm. Well, I'm going to say anytime there's a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> it's waterfall the entire movie. No. So one thing about the movie, it's going to be hard because one of our weekly drinking rules that we carry across is product of the times. Mm-hmm. And a phone booth is a product of the times. Yes. So we're not going to be able to drink for that every time. Right. We're going to have to base it off of something else. Also, we, I feel like we're going to drink a lot to our standing drinking rule of every time they say the name of the movie. When they say phone booth? Yeah. Yeah, we can say that. I'm going to say, okay, 
I don't remember this movie enough, so we'll see if these turn out to be any good. Anytime a phone rings, mm-hmm. that's going to be one. Mm-hmm. I don't think he stays on the phone with the guy the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think they keep calling back and forth. Okay. Before you go further, can I say my shot in the dark? Because I'm scared you're going to come up with something that could ruin my shot in the dark. Yeah, sure. Okay. I have, I like already know what my shot in the dark is going to be for cellular too. And they're kind of similar. But yeah. mm-hmm. for phone booth, my shot in the dark is like there is a panicked moment of like he needs to be able to contact the sniper guy. Mm-hmm. It, but like the guy's not calling him and he has to call him, but he has no coins. And so, like, he can't make the call because... <laughs> because he has no coins. Yeah. But then, he's like, like, he can't leave because he's been told he can't leave. And so, that's my shot in the dark. <laughs> okay. You know, something I always wondered, because this has happened in many movies, especially the ones set in the time period where we had phone booths. I have never understood, how do you call a phone booth? It has, like, a, it has a, a number. You just have to know the number. So, how do you find out the number of a phone booth? I have no clue. Also, what's the point of calling a phone booth? That happens know. in so many movies, but, like... Why? I don't know. To do really sketchy shit. Yeah, but like, you know, like, are you just going to get a random stranger that happens to walk by a phone booth and then they're going to hear a ringing phone in a phone booth and go pick it up? I don't know. I mean, that, that, that sounds dumb. Right. Okay. So we have phones ringing. I think mm-hmm. that, that'll happen quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say because there's a sniper, anytime that you see like crosshairs. Oh, that's a good one. I was about to say that. Where like you see somebody yeah. through crosshairs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to also say anytime they obscure the villain's face. Okay. I don't know if that happens or not, but I want to say that when this movie came out, I'm pretty sure they tried to keep the villain under wraps Mm -hmm. so that you didn't know who was playing the villain. Mm -hmm. Kind of like in Seven, Mm -hmm. how like you didn't know until three-fourths of the way through the movie that it was Kevin Spacey. Right. I think that that's what they were doing here too. And even if they aren't, I mean, it's a sniper that's like doing a hostage situation. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to try to like hide who that villain is. Right. So you don't see them until the end. If right. you ever see them. Right. So that can be one. That's three rules. If I remember right, police do... This is like a hostage mm-hmm. type situation. So I'm going to say that anytime that there... This will be the last rule. Okay. Anytime that there's going to be like a really stereotypic negotiation with a hostage taker type thing. Mm-hmm. Like where you try to do the whole like, okay, man, I'm on your side. Like I'm here to walk this mm-hmm. through. Like I'm right. here to talk you through what's right. going on. Anytime that that type of thing goes on... It, it can be from Colin Farrell. Yeah. Because I think that if I remember right, the police are going to be feeding him like, tell him this, mm-hmm. like do this, like keep him on the line. Mm-hmm. Anything that's like that, where it's a right. really stereotypic way to handle a right. hostage situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like it. Okay. So those are four rules. I think those will provide enough drinking, but mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't remember. Yeah. So uh-huh. the second movie is going to be cellular, like you said, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that after uh, when we come back from the mm-hmm. from the first movie. But also a tie to MCU because Chris Evans. Okay. <laughs> before being famous, <laughs> I think wasn't Chris Evans also in uh, Fantastic Four? Maybe I have no clue. I think he was in the Jessica Alba from Fa- Fantastic Four. Didn't we just watch that? No. Oh. We watched the Miles Teller Fantastic Four. Right. Which was much later. That was not that long ago, and it was so bad. It was so, so bad. Really horrendous. But the original Fantastic Four was not good either. Yeah. There were at least two of them. I should remember the, what's his face, the Michael guy who played the thing. Is that the name of the character, like the thing? Yeah, like the rock yeah. looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should remember that being not great looking. Yeah. Well, and that's in both of those movies, mm-hmm. the Miles Teller one and the, the original. Yeah, but specifically that one did not look great. Right. I don't remember if I ever watched the original i want to say though that chris evans did play one of those characters in the original fantastic four so 
He has a lot of Marvel connections. Yeah. Though not not cellular. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's where uh, they figured out that, that, that he needed to be in the MCU. Hey, just in honor of our talks tonight, if we can find a way to tie something to the MCU, that's a drinking rule. Yeah, there we go. Especially for cellular. Anytime that Chris Evans does something <laughs> reminiscent of the MCU, that would be something. But we'll get to those rules when we come back. Yeah, he was in the first Fantastic Four, you're right. Played Johnny Storm. Oh, so he was the uh, fire person. If that's what right. you say. The Human Torch, isn't that who Johnny Storm is? I don't know. I have no clue. I think it is. Okay. Well, let's go watch Phone Booth. I'm actually really excited about watching this. Yeah? Well, and you love suspense. I do. So this, this is, is a my, suspense? This is my type of movie. Yeah? All right. And we're back from watching Phone Booth. So just a quick recap of what this movie was. <laughs> uh, so basically the entire movie starts with Colin Farrell trying to make a call in a phone booth and then getting basically trapped by a serial killer who knew who was going to be there because he goes there every day to call his mistress and basically extorting him into like saying that he has a mistress and all the horrible things that he does. Yeah. I mean, so he's a sniper and you don't ever really see him either. Right. Throughout the movie. That was one rule that I said was if they're obscuring his face or something, they never show his face. So in in principle, I was right, but right. you can't really drink to <laughs> right. it. There were multiple other rules, however, that you could add in instead. I wanted yeah. to address this real quick because we kind of had to come up with our rules on the fly. Right. So I would say that a couple rules that I wrote down as we were watching it. So get rid of that one about seeing the, the face. Yeah. There is a great one, which is anytime someone tries to get into the phone booth. Yes. Because everybody tries to get into this phone booth. <laughs> so it's like there's a strip club-ish thing that's like right next to there where all the dancers are, or somebody, I don't, I don't know what, are coming out and trying to get into the phone booth to use the phone booth for some reason. <laughs> then like a guy walks out and he tries to get into the phone booth. The police try to get into the phone booth. Mm -hmm. Like everybody tries to get into this phone booth. Right. Um, a random guy comes up and tries to use the phone booth. That's that's a great one. Yeah, I agree. Another rule, you could go two ways with this. Picture in picture. They do picture oh in picture God. scenes throughout this whole movie. And you can tell that in 2002, it was thought to be really innovative. Right. Yes. I'm sure that they thought this was like... Whereas a normal ass movie would just do like a split screen. Right. <laughs> this is like trying to predate the iPhone FaceTime picture right. in a picture type y style. Yes. So you can either make a rule to drink to picture in picture, or you could drink in general to 2000s directorial decisions, because it's not just that. It's also things like weird blurry screen, though, like really quick moving. Like, yeah, like I felt nauseous multiple times. Yeah. Early 2000s movies love the type of scenes where you very, it's not even shaky cam yet. Mm hmm. It's like you just quickly go like it's as if you're like going through time really fast mm -hmm. and they're showing something like, you know, like everybody's walking the street really quick or it's right. like zigzagging across the street. Right. Really and fast. like you might be overwhelmed by all the things going on around you. Yes. So that was something that they love to do in the 2000s, which mm -hmm. luckily we are over mostly right. at this point in time. Okay, so those are the two rules that you should add, and then all the other rules I said work perfectly. I agree. Um, yeah. You brought up very correctly the di directorial uh, choices. Who's the director of this movie? Well, I did not look this up beforehand. <laughs> but if I did, it might have changed my whole perception of the movie. This movie was directed 
by Joel Schumacher. Who is? So <laughs> most people probably know Joel Schumacher from doing the really bad Batman movies. Yeah. The Batman movies that came out after Batman and Batman Returns. So like Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, mm-hmm. those movies, the ones that were horrendously terrible. <laughs> The one with uh, Jim Carrey, you know, as the Riddler, mm-hmm. the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, all of those that are horrendously bad. That's the man who directed this. The writer of this is Larry Cohen, which wrote a lot of movies dating mm-hmm. back to like Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So this man had been in Hollywood for a long time when he wrote this. And the two paired up and boy, did they create a movie. So we have to talk about who the caller is. Yes. So the reason that I was hiding the the actor's name was because it's someone that you have become really obsessed with recently. It is. uh, Which is Kiefer Sutherland. (laughs) So this would have been around the time that he was doing 24. Yeah. And it's shot in a similar-ish style to 24. Yeah. And I feel like I just need to back up for a tiny second when you say that I'm obsessed with Kiefer Sutherland. I think we've talked about on the podcast before that I get obsessed with people doing really ridiculous things. Yes. So it is like I'm obsessed with Elizabeth Olsen right now. It's because I think she's a really brilliant actress. I'm obsessed with Keith Sutherland because I think he's a really bad actor and does really ridiculous things. Right. So one of the things that Ashley has been pulling up a lot recently is this montage of Kiefer Sutherland in Designated Survivor. Oh, yeah. Which is a show that's already over. But he, I guess, you know, he's the president now because he was the sole survivor of whatever, a terrorist attack of, of some sort. Of the State of the Union, and he was the designated survivor. Yeah, there you go. Um, but he wears glasses, and he dramatically pulls off those glasses in every scene of the whole every show. Every single scene. And, like, so when this show first came out, like, I was, you know, I I love prestige television. Like, I'm I'm here for it. And so I was like, I could try to watch this, you know, in between Scandal and whatnot or whatever was hip and hot and new then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had to stop because I couldn't take him ripping his glasses off every five seconds. Yeah. And the montage really proves how true this is. Right. So, like, I was trying to explain this to you and one of our friends like how like like you guys have never seen this show before i'm trying to describe it to you and i'm like on youtube there has to be something that like proves my point and like i've never talked about this with anyone i haven't seen articles about it i haven't like this is just something that for years i've just like obsessed over in my head and then last year when i was like first telling you guys about this weird obsession i had i was like we have to go on youtube somebody's had to document this and we found a video montage made of every time Keith Sutherland rips off his glasses and designated survivor. And it was set to a song called Tired Eyes. <laughs> and it's just so perfect. And we recently rewatched it because it's such a great video. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. And then our friend also mentioned that a similar thing happens uh, in 24 where he says, damn it. Isn't that what it oh, is? Oh, yeah. So we found that one. Yeah. And so he literally says, damn it, like a hundred thousand times over the course of 24 right. as a series. Right. So this is clearly a Kiefer Sutherland thing to just, you know, I guess do the same action or phrase over and over and over and right. over and over again. So I don't know in 2002 if it was obvious then that it was Kiefer Sutherland. I think so. I don't know because he was definitely a big thing then. And I feel like it would have been like a really good reveal at the end of showing like that's who the voice has been the entire time. Yeah. But like definitely now sitting in 2021. There's no doubt that it's Keith or Sutherland. Right. And I think at that point in time, enough people didn't know his voice yet. Mm-hmm. 
but it would have again it almost exactly overlaps with 24 so i yeah. think that people would have recognized him maybe right. even recognize his voice but i do know that I read a little bit that, you know, they didn't put his face on any posters because they didn't mm -hmm. want anybody to know that he was the villain. Right. And you only see him once in this entire mm -hmm. movie uh, at the very end. And you don't really see him very well. You know what he does? What? Takes off his glasses. Oh, he does take off his glasses. <laughs> yeah, he does. It, that that happens at the end. Because apparently, like, I felt like he went to, like, one day of acting school. And then that day they talked about how you can use props like glasses to, like, you know, be a second character with you. And, like, he's just held on to that. Right. His entire career. And also the thing about if the intent in 2002 was it not to be completely obvious that it's Keith or Sutherland, mm -hmm. what you might think is that it's the vo voice of uh, Ghostface from the screen movies. Which we looked up because we both mentioned that this sounds exactly like Scream, the, and, the voice on the phone. Right. And I should mention I am a scream super fan it's like one of my favorite movies i make us watch it every single year at halloween right all of them we mm -hmm. watch the whole series exactly <laughs> and there's another one coming so, up yes so we know ghostface very well right so when we thought that he sounded like the guy from scream we looked it up and it turns out that when this was written it was written basically to be played by the guy who did the voice of ghostface in scream so the whole thing was written so that the voice on the phone, the caller, would sound like Ghostface. So it would have been basically the exact same voice that's in Scream. Uh, and I guess they couldn't get that person. I don't know if anything happened to that person or not, but they couldn't get that person. So Kiefer Sutherland did it and clearly tried to do his best like Ghostface impersonation the whole movie. Right. And you'd, you had mentioned before we watched this the... Uh you had mentioned like seven being like a type of thing of like where we don't, you don't know who the killer is for a long time and it being kind of like a big reveal. Yeah. It, I feel like uh, Keith or Sutherland's character was an entire uh, mixture of Ghostface and the way that Kevin Spacey's character talked in seven. Right. And um, what's the other thing that we brought up? Oh, uh, Jigsaw. Oh, yeah. Which this predates the first saw by just a year or or so because mm -hmm. um, the first saw came out around this time period as well i don't know if it could have drawn any inspiration from phone booth maybe but it is very much the same premise kind of of like a killer who is trying to get these kind of bad people to admit something and like reconcile mm -hmm. something right. about themselves the difference is that this guy isn't really a serial killer and well he's yeah he is he is a serial killer but he's not like uh he's not torturing people in the sense of like jigsaw it's more mm -hmm. like it's more psycho like i was gonna say psychedelic <laughs> no, psychological yes <laughs> yeah no it's it's definitely more psychological psychological but he did so when he's talking to him at the beginning he did kill the other people right which the police obviously don't know about because like no, they do because they say something at the very beginning about how like over on this area, like things have gotten kind of rough at the very beginning. Like in so the does voiceover. he keep doing this in the same phone booth? Well, it, it looks like this was the first time I was on a phone booth because the other ones I were talking on cell phones. Okay. Well, it, in my mind, it's like if he kept doing this to phone booths, you'd think that at some point in time the police are like, "Wait a minute, right. <laughs> we keeps finding gunshots and in, into phone booths, killing people." But no, it's just snipering people in the middle of the street. Yeah. Which I mean, like, when you're getting hit with a sniper rifle, it's clear that it's not like a handgun. Right. Which, <laughs> I mean, Colin Farrell brings this up, right? He even tells the killer, like, you know, because the killer's kind of trying to frame him as a killer mm -hmm. and whatever. 
Um, so he like planted a handgun on him or whatever. And Colin Farrell is trying to be like, people will know the difference between a sniper rifle mm-hmm. bullet and a handgun bullet. Mm-hmm. And the only explanation you get from Kiefer Sutherland is I use hollow shells or like hollow mm-hmm. point, whatever, which like you can't re- identify any of it. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point isn't right. that you couldn't <laughs> find the sniper rifle like casing or shell or, or whatever. Right. It's that a bullet hole from a sniper rifle is not the same as a bullet hole like the fact of the matter is that if you got shot and this guy is not that far Mm -hmm. right the premise is that he's basically across the street in a window and you never see where he is right but he's not that far away if you were shot by a sniper rifle at that distance i mean this thing is like blowing out a chunk of your back when you got shot right if you got shot in the head like you're mostly your head is gone a handgun bullet would not necessarily do that Maybe at point blank range, not not like, you know, you, you cannot misidentify. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one issue. But going back to the, the phone thing, this whole thing is set in a phone booth. That's fascinating for people <laughs> who forgot about phone booths and, and haven't used them in the last 20 years. But you also see it. I don't even know. What is the message that this movie is trying to make? Because it seems like it's like anti-technology of like, Back in the good old days, we used phone booths. See, I don't think it's trying to make that argument at all. Really? I feel like it was just like you would think that from the like the like prologue, right? Like that voiceover at the very beginning. Like that's what you think because you wrote down some really good quotes that I want you to read here in a second. Yeah. But like then that is completely abandoned. Never again is it like relying on older technology versus new technology really ever a plot point ever again. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. I, well, I mean, like, they do use a cell phone later. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. But the reason I said that is because, like you said, of the prologue. And I wrote down some quotes. So the opening scene, one, pulls the most 2000s-looking thing ever. This scene happened in every every movie of the 2000s. Every introduction. So picture this. You are traveling through the internal workings of some structure that you can't see whether it be electronics, like a microchip or a blood cell or <laughs> a, a synapse in the brain, like that scene has happened everywhere. In a zombie movie, you see like the one mutated cell. Right. Because it's like, you know, super zoomed in and you see that spreading on like mm-hmm. a molecular level. And then it zooms out and you're in the bloodstream and it zooms out until you're at the person. Mm-hmm. That scene happens in this too. Mm-hmm. It happened in so many movies. You're, you see a satellite. The satellite beams what like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And it goes through this whole like internal molecular structure of uh, something that zooms out until it's a cell phone. Right. <laughs> Which is so stupid. But as all that ends, it then goes into this basically like monologue where it is reading off. The first thing it says is three million New Yorkers are cell phone users <laughs> and they and they emphasize cell phone like mm-hmm. intentionally emphasize right. like can, can you, you believe, believe it, it? <laughs> you and i said the same exact yeah. thing <laughs> that three million new yorkers <laughs> are cell phone users right. okay so that's the first one the second quote that i wrote down was speed dial is quickly replacing the drop of a coin <laughs> <laughs> So that's how this begins. And that's not even the most like that makes it seem like times are changing. Right. 
But then the part that really seems like it's speaking out against cell phones, it's like, it, oh my gosh, I can remember so many boomers saying this type of thing when this was happening. So just just think mm-hmm. back to when cell phones were first coming out. Mm-hmm. And this, honestly, this still gets said today. It probably gets said worse today than it did back then. Mm-hmm. But it was like, so this is basically in the prologue. This isn't word for word, but this is the gist. I remember a time where talking to yourself meant that you had a mental like disorder. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but now it's a sign of social status. But wait, yeah, that is like a direct quote. But like, what are you doing like on another type of phone? Like you're still talking to yourself, essentially. Yeah, I mean, on any phone. Right. Like, that's such a weird comment to me. Well, it's because, like, their point, which, and this is something that I I heard this said. I have heard this phrase said before of, like, you look like you're talking to yourself, right? People say it less now that everybody uses a cell phone, right? But, like, especially when they first came out and, like, people were still, like, ugh, like, you don't, you can't just talk at home on the phone. Right. Their whole point wasn't that, like, using the phone is different. It was just that, like, before there was a designated place you used the phone, right? So right. you don't like walk around town talking on the phone. Right. You like walk into a booth or you sit on your couch and you have your corded phone and you talk on it. Right. So in their mind, it was just so aberrant. It was so weird that you would possibly just walk around town talking on a phone. Because it was like the first time, right, that it became that pervasive in our lives that it's like you didn't have the one hour a day where you talk to people on the phone when mm-hmm. you get home after work. Mm-hmm. Now it's like everywhere you go, you're talking on a phone. Right. So that's what they're really commenting on. This movie comments on it, too. And it's not surprising because Larry Cohen is not a young guy. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's alive anymore either, but he's, he wasn't a young guy then. Think about this. He was writing things for Alfred Hitchcock. So <laughs> Right. That's a lot. So this guy's been around for a while. But he makes that comment and then never comes back to it. Yeah. Except something I found as we were looking at facts about this movie. Okay. I brought up who directed this. I looked it up. Joel Schumacher blew my mind. Should have looked that up beforehand because Joel Schumacher, I don't think has ever directed anything good. Larry Cohen. What did Larry Cohen do? Look it up. The very next movie that Larry Cohen wrote. Cellular. (laughs) Absolutely blew my mind. Here's the thing. When I connected Phone Booth and Cellular, I connected them on two things. One, I haven't seen Cellular. Mm -hmm. So I have seen Phone Booth, haven't seen Cellular. Didn't really know that much about Cellular. I had heard of it, Mm -hmm. didn't really think about it. The reason I connected them, one, they both have to do with phones. Mm -hmm. Clearly, that was intentional. Right. He literally, that was a, (laughs) a thing that he intended to connect. Two, they both have hostage situations. So in my mind, I was like, okay, They both have phones in the names, different types of phones, both have hostage situations. That's a perfect pairing. Well, it's a perfect pairing because they were intentionally made to be a perfect pairing. (laughs) Larry Cohen, in an interview, said that Cellular is supposed to be the opposite movie of Phone Booth. (laughs) That is insane. And especially that I did not know that that was a thing. That was wild to find out. Completely blew my mind, which... Hopefully they go well together. I don't know. So that's one thing I found out as we were looking through this. There's a lot of other really good trivia that I found out as we were looking at this because I was like, this movie is fascinating me because is it good? I don't know. Uh, it's The answer is we'll, no. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> the whole thing is when I was looking it up, I was just trying to find out more about this, especially after I found out about Larry Cohen and Joel Schumacher. So a couple other interesting things that I found out. One, this movie is shot in real time. So this movie is only an hour and 20 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And the storyline is an hour and 20 minutes long. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, it's one for one. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not spanning days. It's not skipping a month or something like that. That's interesting in and of Mm -hmm. itself. For sure. It doesn't all take place in a phone booth, but it mostly takes place in and around a phone booth. Mm -hmm. That's interesting for 2002 or three, whenever Mm -hmm. this was. I feel like that's new for the time period. Another interesting thing is that none of the extras knew anything about the movie. And so they were just told to like watch what was happening and react to it as they saw fit, basically. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if I really could tell. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't like, wow, so authentic. Like, you're like, wow, man in the backpack. He's given it his all. Right. right. So I don't know. Um, well, there was a scene where it was like people are filming on their camcorders and then it <laughs> shows over to a guy who's literally holding like one of those old VHS camcorders. which Like the huge ones. Like That's a blast from the yeah. past. Yeah. Another thing that I found out as, as I was looking into this. So Colin Farrell, was he famous yet? Oh, for sure. What had he done before this? So this I, is early 2000s. I mean, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to look at it. Okay. Well, uh, anyway, so... I guess if he was a named actor by that people like household name, right, that they mm-hmm. knew him by then, then then maybe that's different. But this movie has a number of famous people in it. So Kiefer Sutherland, Katie Holmes is in it. Mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker is in it. Uh, Colin Farrell is in it. There's a few other people as well. But listen to this list of people who was supposed to play the role of Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, his name's Stu in the movie. This is these are the people who are pl- supposed to play Stu. They eventually turned down, and so like Colin Farrell was like obviously the tenth choice, and that's who they ended up going with. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was wondering if if he was that famous at this point in time. Yeah. So at this point in time, he had done um, American Outlaws, where he played Jesse James. Yeah. Um, he was a Minority Report with Tom Cruise. A Minority Report. Yeah. Yeah. He was in Hearts War with Bruce Willis. So he wasn't like he definitely wasn't like what we think of right now as but Colin this would Farrell, have also, but like, it was the era of Colin Farrell at the time. He had like 10 movies come out within the one year. Right. But all those movies that you listed, they would have all been filming at the same time. So could he have really been a household name before he was cast as this? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Because when they cast him, those it's kind of like Timothy Chalamet. Him. It's like before any of us knew who Timothy <laughs> Chalamet was, like Hollywood was like, yeah, this is the next guy. Yeah. You know? Well, he, well, he was the 10th guy <laughs> <laughs> in, in the director's mind, at least. Mm-hmm. So here's who is supposed to play him. First, Mel Gibson. Oh, Lord. What would that have been like? This movie with Mel Gibson. There's even a reference to Mel Gibson in the, in the script. Yeah, he, he like has a quick, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that, I guess that was, yeah, that was probably on purpose too. So that's one person who may have played him. Listen to some of these other ones though. Jim Carrey. Oh my God. So this would have been right before his first like really serious role, which would have been Eternal Sunshine. Right. So I guess at this point that maybe he was looking for a new, like to get into serious acting. I don't know. I still think that would have been a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell was not that bad, honestly. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. probably the strongest point of this. I agree. Here's another one. Tom Cruise. A little bit better. It would have fit better. Uh, was I he think, dating Katie Holmes at the time? I think he was. I think he, I think he was married to Katie Holmes at the time. I don't think so. In 2000, this is 2003. 2002. It was filming in 2002. I thought, so IMDb. It came out in 2002. Oh, on IMDb, what we watched, it said 2003. On IMDb that I'm looking at right now, it says 2002. Weird. Well, the Amazon video suggests three. It doesn't matter. So mm-hmm. either which way. So they would have at least been dating. Here's another one. Mark Wahlberg. You know why mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg turned down the role? Why? Because he was starring in Planet of the Apes. Much better choice. The 2001 Planet of the Apes. Here's another person. Oh, my person. God. Home, Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise didn't start dating until 2005. Uh, so a little bit later. But mm-hmm. so here's another one. 
Will Smith. Wow. Honestly, that might have been better, but... Yeah. <laughs> okay, so those are all people who turned it down. There's mm-hmm. also one key actor who could have made this the best movie of all time. Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage could have been Stu Shepard. I love that I knew it. I just knew it. Okay, here's the thing. Could you imagine? No, it would have been so much better. So, you know, so the, the whole premise of this, for people who haven't seen it, is that he's basically being convinced at gunpoint <laughs> or at uh, whatever to basically divulge all of his secrets to like his wife and and, lo- and secret lover or whatever mm-hmm. which are not really secret lovers yeah. they, they haven't they really... never even had sex no it's just like that it's an he's... emotional it's an emotional affair sure and that's what's happening but she doesn't even know about his wife and it's a whole thing but so there's a scene where he's being forced to basically like confess a lot of things mm-hmm. and so like increasingly throughout the movie he's like forced to say additional things that are mm-hmm. are secret so there's a big scene where he gives kind of like a monologue where he is just going on for like five minutes about like, I'm a bad person and I do this to hide my feelings and I do this to blah, 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 blah. And it's a whole like heartfelt thing where he's apologizing to his wife and he's apologizing to Katie Holmes, who's the secret lover, and he's doing all this other stuff. If that scene had been Nicolas Cage, I can't even imagine. It would have been the best movie. I cannot imagine. He would have been like literally slamming, like <laughs> shaking right. the phone booth. <laughs> he would have been pounding on the, the light above the uh, phone booth. Oh, man, I cannot imagine it. Me either. So before we get into ratings, I do want to give some of my favorite quotes that I wrote down uh-huh. from the movie. So the first one happens pretty early on, and it's from one of the sex workers who really wants to use the phone booth. Uh-huh. And, you know, like, she's, like, banging against the glass trying to tell Colin Farrell that she wants to get in. Uh-huh. And I guess she hurts her hand at one point and says, oh, man, you made me hurt my dick can. <laughs> she did say that. Yeah. Um, another favorite quote. Um, Keith Sutherland, as he's taunting Colin Farrell on the phone, he at one point says, this reminds me of Nam. Yes, Vietnam. <laughs> and then says, what do you think, I'm 50 or something? <laughs> well, so, yeah, because he, he, he makes it seem like he was in Nam. Mm-hmm. And Nam, you're, you're going with that. Well, he said Nam. <laughs> he makes it feel like, or he makes Colin Farrell think that he was in Nam. And when, when Colin Farrell then plays along with it and was, like, talking about it, he was like, you think I was actually in Vietnam? What right. am I, 50? Right. Uh, which... Astro is immediately like, he is 50. <laughs> but like, no, he was not. Not he in was, 2002. He was 35. 2000. Yeah, he was 35. Which, no, he wasn't. He's like, in his 50s now. But like, oh my God. Like, I couldn't imagine talking or looking like that at 35. Yeah. You know who else I feel like that, though, is um, Christian Slater. No, Christian Slater, I can understand. Christian Slater, I always feel, is in his 50s. No. Really? No. Unless his teenage... Christian Slater, he went from teenager straight to 50-year-old. Okay, I I mean, I'll kind of agree with that, but that's because he had such a long break in his career. Well, maybe, but... Anywho, let's talk about drinkability. Yeah. I think the rules that you came up with are spot on and can, can join them with the rules that you added. One of the best ones was, like, the view through the crosshairs of, like, the sniper rifle. Right, which was done in pure Joel Schumacher fashion because... If you're imagining a scene... So here's what I was imagining when I said that rule. I was thinking of any scene that you may have seen in like James Bond or another action film, right? Where you see maybe not the actual sniper, but you see like the rifle they're holding and it goes down their real life scope, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing the person through their actual scope. Mm -hmm. A lot of movies did that. I'm pretty sure they even did it this early into the 2000s. Mm -hmm. I know they did it after that. Mm -hmm. 
No, that is not what happens. You right. do not see through a real life scope. <laughs> Instead, what they do is they just take the regular like film that they're doing. Mm-hmm. They put it through like a weird like sepia tone type mm-hmm. thing to be like, maybe this is like a red tinted mm-hmm. scope thing. And then they put a bright red crosshairs in the mm-hmm. center of the screen. And that's the that's the crosshairs. Right. And it's so funny that you even brought up James Bond because what I re- like wrote down when I was like thinking about it, I was like, I played one video game growing up. I had two. But one of them was on my friend's Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. We would play the James Bond 007 GoldenEye game. Yeah. It's exactly what it looked like. Kind of less realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it was dumb. It was because it's like it doesn't even move. Like the whole point of of putting crosshairs through like a real looking scope, and you don't have to film it. Maybe they didn't have the technology in two thousand two or whatever to do it through the real scope. Even so, you could make what you're seeing on the screen look like it's through a scope, right? Instead right. of doing that, they were just like, it's enough to pretend the whole screen is the scope, and that the crosshairs is the red thing in mm-hmm. the center of it. Yeah. The other thing that was really hokey was the red dot. So it's oh clear God, that yeah. he's using like a red dot site in mm-hmm. addition to everything else. Right. And it shows up every now and again, like on like the police chief and on his wife's forehead mm-hmm. and whatever. But it is the fakest looking. They could have... Like, it's clear in post-production that they just like went into Microsoft Paint and like did the period dot in red and then went... And, like, put it on people's heads. <laughs> but kind of literally. And it would have been more realistic to literally buy a laser pointer and, right. and shine it at someone's right. head. That would have looked better than what this was. It would have been so much more realistic. <laughs> but instead, you just get this weird fake dot that is clearly, like, in post-production put on top of this person. It didn't look real at all. Doesn't move naturally. Everything about it was fake. Right. Okay, what are you rating this movie, Sean? Okay, so all that said, here's my opinion of this movie. It's an hour and 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. That's a very good length Mm -hmm. for this type of movie. Yep. Enjoyable to drink to. Mm -hmm. Pretty good drinking rules, especially when you add the ones that I said. Mm -hmm. There's so much to laugh at in this movie. Mm -hmm. If you want to watch a thriller, it's not a terrible thriller. It's not a great thriller. It's not a great thriller. It's it's definitely not. But for 2002, I am adamant that 2000 to 2005 was maybe the worst time period in the history of cinema. I don't disagree. I think that even the good movies were bad. Mm-hmm. And like, there are a couple that break through. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. That broke through. Uh, there's a few that broke through. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they were just horrendously terrible. Mm-hmm. And there are movies that you may still love, that you may think back and be like, man, I love that movie. Like Dodgeball. Mm-hmm. Then you go back and rewatch that movie. And by today's standards, it is bad. It is so bad. Mm-hmm. All that said... I'm going to give it a 58. Okay. I have all the same things to say, but I'm giving it a 48. Well, I mean, I can understand how you do. <laughs> but again. No, I, I, I agree with where you're at. I think I think you're a little high in your rating, but I understand how you got there. I'm comparing it to its own peers. Right. I'm not comparing it to a thriller of today. No. I, well, I am, and I'm not going to not do that. But... I will say more than anything, even though this was a good movie, obviously we're giving it bad movie ratings. 
it was a blast to watch for a drinking night movie. Especially because it's an hour and 20 minutes long. It's, yeah. it's so fast it's to perfect. watch. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. You're not wasting your time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Now, what it could have done is become a two hour and 20 minute movie, in which case I would have given it way less. Yeah, I agree. Right. Because they, they could have tried to add like a backstory right. to this or something like that. Like Saw, the original mm-hmm. Saw was really long. But right. Saw was great. So like if you were comparing that, if they went with that length because they wanted to make this into a whole, like, here's the motive behind the shooter, right. I think it would have been bad, bad. Right. But Colin Farrell's acting, pretty good. Forrest Whitaker, he's there. Heather <laughs> <laughs> Sutherland, what she wasn't. Katie Holmes, all right. <laughs> Katie Holmes acting better than she was in First Daughter, which was a agreed. similar time period. Agreed, agreed. It's it's not that bad. Who played his real wife? Uh, some woman, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, she, she was in, she, she was in a few things of the time, but she's not famous by any means. Yeah, she was all right. Um, I don't know, Kiefer Sutherland sounded like Ghostface. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, don't I mean, know, like, I, honestly, like I was kind of annoyed with the Kiefer Sutherland character until the very end when you see him and he takes off his glasses. I was like, it was all worth it. Yeah, well, and that those glasses should have added 10 points to your rating. <laughs> they did. well okay okay so let's transition into cellular real quick yeah well turns out this is by the same writer right so neither you or i have seen this right no okay so i have the synopsis pulled up so it says school teacher jessica martin which is played by kim basinger is abducted by a ruthless cook ethan and brought to a remote hideout a ruthless cook (laughs) (laughs) wait before I forget this, and th- this plays right into it. Okay, so you're going to think, after we just talked about that last movie, how was that your good movie? Well, here's the thing about it. This movie is definitely worse. And now you know he's taken, she's taken by a ruthless cook. That is your first oh. example of how it's bad. It says what? Ruthless crook. <laughs> <laughs> okay, drink to that because Ashley can't read. Okay, never mind then. But you're still going to wonder, how is that the good movie? Here's the thing. Look it up. IMDb had like a 7 out of 10. That's really high for IMDb. Rotten had a 70-something percent. 73. So certified fresh. Mm -hmm. Again, for the time period, not that bad. But cellular, definitely going to be worse. 100% worse. Okay. So let me try this again. Okay. So not a cook. (laughs) I was like, wow, what a detail. What a... I was like, a ruthless cook. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. That... That famous Nixon phrase, <laughs> I am not a cook. <laughs> oh, man. Honestly, I, that I is, literally, I was just like, how is that such a detail? It's important. That is the type of mistake that a middle school <laughs> Ashley definitely would have made. I could imagine you to this day being like, why did Nixon talk about being a cook? I can't like, believe like it. Like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's another one. <laughs> Ashley said that, well, and you didn't actually think that was a thing, but... No, I did. But you thought it was the Dead Sea Squirrels? Yeah, because I thought that's what they were saying. Oh, Lord. I, I, didn't, I went and like looked up like on Internet Explorer what a sea squirrel was like. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, and, and as a short aside, so, uh, clearly Ashley can't hear or read words. And what we found out is that the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. which most people know about, mm-hmm. Ashley thought that I thought I thought you were joking. No, I really thought they oh, were man. Dead Sea Squirrels. So Ashley thought it was Dead Sea Squirrels. So here's the thing: when Ashley said that, first I like died laughing, but when I was done laughing, I looked up. You know, it, I just thought it would be fun to Google Dead Sea Squirrels, <laughs> right? 
Well, here's the thing. There is something called the Dead Sea Squirrels. Mm-hmm. Does it do with Jesus? It does. Oh, it, really? Yeah, it's a Christian cartoon. Oh, because it's definitely somebody else has done this. Like, I'm not the first person to have misunderstood it. No, they intentionally I bet named it's it. VeggieTales. It's like VeggieTales, right? It's from the creator of VeggieTales. Okay, look. See? But it's not because they also misheard it as Dead Sea Squirrels. It's because they're like, oh, that's like close... And so, like, we're going to come up with a fun, like, way to talk about the Dead Sea Squirrel. Oh, wait, we can actually connect this for a second. Remember the Church of the Living Room? Yeah. It was that pastor who was talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I thought he was saying the Dead Sea Squirrels. And you never thought to ask? I did ask. Who? Him, that night. Oh, and you said squirrels? Well, I wasn't saying the word squirrel. I was just saying, like... How? Like, how does it have to do? Like, how was that like a prophecy? Like, you know, like I was like asking questions and like, it was just a classic case of we were saying different things and didn't know. So you managed to talk about it the whole time and he didn't know that you thought it was squirrels? Apparently so. Here's the other thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls are not part of like mainstream, especially not like Baptist or whatever Christianity. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like rejected because they give a different opinion of like... You know, like at the beginning, there's a whole bunch of different like paths of Christianity, mm-hmm. right? You had like Gnostics and mm-hmm. all these other branches. And then you had like the Pauline Christians, which became like what we think of today of, as Christianity. Sure. So it's like that's a whole branch that kind of died out mm-hmm. that created the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. not the squirrels. And so like that's normally kind of like rejected. Kind of like the Apocrypha. Like, right. if you ever heard about the Apocrypha? No, most, so like, I remember the Dead Sea squ- Squirrels being rejected, and I thought it was because we're, like, trying to listen to dead squirrels as, like... Oh, Lord. The Word of Christ. Oh, boy. So, anyways, the Ruthless Cook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> okay. School teacher Jessica Martin is abducted by a ruthless crook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a cook. Captain Hook. <laughs> I can't even say it. It's a jerk. <laughs> okay. And is brought to a remote hideout where she finds a broken cell phone. Broken? Yeah. So um, it can't like dial numbers and that's why she has to. Who the hell wrote this? Unfortunately, when she tries to use the malfunctioning phone to contact the authorities, she accidentally reaches college student Ryan, played by Chris Evans, instead. Y'all. The entire premise is that the cell phone's broken, so when she dials 911, it calls Chris Evans. So she types in three numbers, and it ends up calling? Yeah. Like, the full phone number of someone else? The young man wants to help Jessica. I'm like, (laughs) calling him a young man now. But she has no idea where her captives have taken, or captors have taken her, and Ryan must scramble to figure out where she is before his cell phone goes dead. My shot in the dark was that he's running out of battery and has to find a charger really fast. I was so proud of that shot in the dark. You have to come up with a new one. No, it's going to happen. There's there's going to be a point where he's scrambling for a charger. You know what you could do? What? You could just walk your ass to the, the police department and settle <laughs> it. <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly, you know what else you could do? Use a payphone because they, those clearly existed at this point in time. No, it has to be the exact opposite movie, Sean. <laughs> as we all know, the writer is the same writer as in Phone Booth. The director is David Ellis. David Sounds familiar. David Ellis directed Snakes on a Plane. Oh, God. He also directed, uh, maybe he wasn't the full director. He worked on Deep Blue Sea and The Matrix. He, he was obviously not the director of The Matrix, but he worked on it. <laughs> 
from the man who brought you the Matrix. It's cellular, the opposite of phone booth. He was also in a lot of movies, but not as main characters. So this is almost all he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, well, here we go. Director. He also did Final Destination. Mm-hmm. Trucks. Uh, Asylum. Trucks. Final Destination 2. Homeward Bound 2. Oh, wow. Who would make a second of that horrible movie? Of Homeward Bound? It's the saddest movie in the entire oh, universe. Sad for sure, but I watched all of them. I have, like, PTSD from Homeward Bound. Yeah, well, I mean... And that cat was so mean to the dog. <laughs> uh, he also did stunts. Was her name, like, Sassy? I don't remember. It was something weird like that. This man has a weird... Like, look up his filmography. He's been an actor, a director. He was on second unit duties... And then he has a whole section where he did stunts. What type of director and actor does is also like a stuntman? But here's the thing. You know what he did stunts in? Let me guess. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Mall Cup 2. Worse. <laughs> Here's some of the things he did stunts in. <laughs> Get him to the Greek. <laughs> Were there stunts in that movie? I don't remember. Probably like crashing into something. Hotel for Dogs. Is that a live action movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Harriet the Spy. He played Harriet very well. <laughs> the Jungle Book from 1994. Isn't that an animated movie? No, the live action one. They made a, they made a live action one in 1994? Yeah, the original live action. I didn't know there was an original live action one. Yeah, not the one that was more recent from like, I don't know, five or six years ago. Not that one. He also did some, uh, he was in Made in America, Body of Evil, Forever Young, Patriot Games. The Adams Family, the original oh, one. Okay, I've heard enough. I found some drinking rules for this movie. Misery. Oh my god. Was he the double that got his legs broken? Probably. Now this is just like bonkers. The things he did stunts for, and I don't know what stunts he did. Oh my god, the tagline for this movie is "If the signal dies, so does she." <laughs> uh, well, the tagline for Phone Booth was "If a phone rings, answer it" or something like that. <laughs> if he didn't answer it, he would have not been in this trouble. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> okay, drinking rules. Anytime they say Martin, anytime the cops are shown in uniform or a mitten mentioned. Or a mitten? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a little bit of champagne. There's my um, shot in the dark. If they're wearing mittens at any point in this movie. Oh my God, that would be great. If um, anyone gets on or off the phone, anyone gets in or out of a car. And these are from drunkenme.com. I only chose a few. They had a lot of rules. Okay. So what is your shot in the dark? My shot in the dark is if he's scrambling to find a charger because it's going to die, we're taking shots. Okay. My shot in the dark. Boy, I do not know. This is a hard one. Okay. I know what it is. So he's a frat guy, right? Mm-hmm. Chris Evans is playing a frat guy. This is college somebody. He has to be a frat guy. It's just this college guy. In the there's synopsis. no way he's not a frat guy. Okay. Okay. If he's playing a college guy, there's going to be a scene where he's in a really intense moment where he's like trying to scramble to help this woman, right? Mm -hmm. But somebody is going to be trying to force him to, like, play a drinking game or to, like, do something really college, like, Mm -hmm. frat Mm party-ish. Like, he's going to be on the phone, right? Mm -hmm. But they're going to be like, come on, do this ice luge. Mm -hmm. Or, like, take body shots. Like, something like that is going to happen while he's getting this call from this woman. Right. I see that. That's my guess. The other thing that I was going to bring up as possibly a shot in the dark is... 
mentioning something so out of date about cellular phone use of like being like, I think I'm near near cell tower tower. Hold on. Like as like the like signals getting shoddy. Well, man, that could be another shot in the dark that the police are going to try to triangulate based on the cell tower pings <laughs> or whatever. We're going to get an ad non ad situation. Well, we here. know that wasn't accurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm excited to watch this one, especially now knowing that Larry Cohen is involved in both. Yeah. Okay. Let's go watch it. Okay. We're back from watching Cellular. Man. Where do you think Larry Cohen tried harder? Cellular or phone booth? Well, so phone booth is, is the more like dramatic of the two. So mm-hmm. probably phone booth, but I don't know. I think that they both tried to make weird like uh, social critiques in some ways. I don't agree with that at all. Oh, I do. Because in both of them, they kind of address like police shootings or police brutality <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Barely. But like in a really weird way. <laughs> And this was, you know, from the early 2000s. So I don't know. Uh, maybe that's not what he was trying to do, but it's definitely a theme in both movies. Yeah. So quick recap of what Cellular was. So Kim Basinger's character, all I know is that her last name's Martin. Julia? Uh, yeah, Julie. Uh, Jessica. Jessica Martin. Jessica Martin. Because her son's name is Ricky Martin. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> And I don't know why. They do make a joke about it in the movie. So maybe that was the whole reason why. So you see her sending her son, Ricky Martin, off to school on the school bus. She comes back in. And then this group of men bring it to her house, kill her housekeeper, and abduct her. And, and the main villain is Jason Statham. Statham, yeah. Yep. So that gives you all you need to know about really what does. type of movie this is like. And so they abduct her to a house. And then... She's put in like an attic and there's a landline just fully working in there. It's weird because nobody has a landline in their attic. Yeah. Like that whole aspect of it is weird because it's basically like this is an unfinished or semi-finished attic. It's definitely not like a regular part of the house. And there's a landline attached to the wall like you may have seen like in the 90s in a kitchen or something like that. But that's the only thing in the attic basically is that landline. And he comes with like a bat and breaks it to be like, I knew that was in here. So now you're not going to have a way to call anyone. Right. And so it's just the shattered landline on the ground. So when I was giving the synopsis before we went to watch the movie, I thought that she found a broken cell phone. Yeah, I thought on, that was the same thing. On the ground. Not like it was a landline that was shattered into pieces, which really brought one of my favorite quotes of the movie of her saying, I've been clicking these lines together forever. Because that's literally what she does. She takes like two wires with the landline and is like clicking them almost like how you would hotwire a car. Yeah, it was kind of like she was trying to do Morse code. But I don't think that's how things dial. Like I don't think that that's, you know, if you just have the electrical wiring inside of a phone. Right. I don't think that tapping it together a certain number of times equals a phone number. Right. And so, but it does. If you Morse code and click your heels together, you will reach a Nokia brick phone. Yeah. Um, according to this. So the Nokia brick phone that she reaches happens to be Chris Evans. And really, I think that this movie was actually just a really long commercial for Nokia. It really was because throughout the whole movie, they show Nokia and it says Nokia. Like they make sure that you see the branding. All the time. Um, they go. I don't know if you see a Nokia so much when they go to the cell phone store, like when he goes in to find a charger or whatever. Mm-hmm. But 
you do see it throughout the rest of the movie. The other thing is that they keep talking about the features of his phone. So he keeps being like, this phone can take video. <laughs> like, that's it. That's the whole thing. It can take video. And then he's watching back a video he took, and it's definitely, like, been, like, CGI'd over it. Like, well, yeah, because it's, like... The quality of video is not a pos- possible on a Nokia phone at the time. No, this is, like, what, 2004 or something mm-hmm. like that? And it's, like, pure HD video. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been grainy, you know, terrible video. Mm-hmm. And really, like, weren't wasn't the first, like, real video taking capacity on the iPhone, like, when smartphones came out? I'm sure that other things have the ability. I know, I know we can ability. take photos, but I don't know about video. Well, I know that the original smartphones could. Yeah. But I thought that was like, I'm sure that there was a phone that you could probably overpay for that had the ability before smartphones. And then it would like probably take up your entire memory and could right. never do anything with it. Right. Because I feel like that's what they really had to get to was the part where you could store things on the cloud or you had like 30 gigabytes of memory, you know, on your iPhone one or whatever. Right. So... I mean, we've we've gotten to the gist of the movie. She's kidnapped. She has somehow clicked some wires together and has gotten Chris Evans on her phone. And he's now trying to locate her and help her. So I can't remember if I was saying it when we were right before we watched the movie, if I said it during the movie. But like, I was like, if you're on a cell phone, why can't you just go to the cops? Like, you know, like the police station and give them the phone. Right. He does do that. And I give that movie credit for going with the obvious thing that you should do. I don't give it credit because he took it to the police and then there was a really stupid reason why the police couldn't help him. Okay, I will give you that. But the fact that we didn't have to like yell at the screen to be like, just go to the fucking police station. Right. At least we got that out of the way. For one minute. And then you had to yell at the screen to be like, you're in a police station. There's more than one cop. <laughs> like That is true. He gets to like basically just the main desk. Right. Where William H. Macy is at. So you get there. He gets to the main desk. One, it's like the people who the police are bringing in that would normally go like into like a holding cell or like a drunk tank, that type of thing. They're all just sitting out in the main lobby. Like, that's where they're waiting to be processed. It's just in the main lobby with no anything, no handcuffs, no guards, no anything. So that doesn't make any sort of sense. They're just sitting there to start with. Then William H. Macy is, like, busy, and he's, like, filling out a form or whatever, and the other people are busy. So when Chris Evans tries to get William H. Macy to help him, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And a fight breaks out, like a gang fight starts breaking out in the lobby, which makes no sense because, again, like, why are these people just sitting in the main lobby unattended? Right. Uh, That's not how a police station works. So I understand that's distracting, and so, like, now William H. Macy can't help him. Still, you're in a police station. There's more than one person because him and, like, maybe one other person goes to try to, like, clear up what's happening in the lobby. You could still wait, right? And before that, William H. Macy is like, go to the fourth floor. Yeah, because that's where homicide is. And then the dumbest thing of all is that as he's going up, he's losing signal. But the premise is that you, if you lose signal, like you're not going to be able to get a hold of this woman again. You know, she would die because she just clicked wires together right. until it called a random number <laughs> right. and you wouldn't be able to call her back, which I don't think is true because so, OK, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe at this point in time, phones didn't know the number that called them. I'm pretty sure they did. Mm-hmm. Even if they didn't, didn't like Star 69 exist? Like, Yeah, I mean, it definitely did. Is that what but it's called? It, yeah, but will it call a broken phone? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, I guess you couldn't, like, it would ring maybe. Mm-hmm. Though, I mean, I don't understand. So, like, when the phone breaks, 
she's like, no, like the one thing I could have used. Mm -hmm. And then as she's sitting there, like a crystal clear dial tone mm -hmm. is coming mm -hmm. from like the broken right. piece of the phone. Then she spends like hours like or something mm -hmm. putting it back together enough to be able to then click the wires together and, and get a, you know, a signal or, or a, I don't know, to be able to call the cell phone. I don't know. That doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things technologically that makes no sense. The other one that I really didn't understand is that there's a scene where Chris Desmond's is driving. And again, if he loses the call, then he's never going to be able to find her and she's going to die. So he's driving and all of a sudden he starts hearing somebody else's call. <laughs> and it's like this douchebag lawyer who's driving his mm -hmm. like his Porsche in the lane next to him. And somehow his call gets flipped onto the other guy's call. Mm -hmm. So now like the whoever the lawyer was talking to is no longer on the phone. Now the lawyer is only on the phone with Kim Basinger. Mm -hmm. And so Chris Evans has to find a way to like try to get the other guy's phone. It like that does that make any sort of sense? I don't think so. Like I'm pretty sure this is not like a 1960s party line situation where like you get like <laughs> crossed signals like Right. A cell phone in 2004 or 5, whatever year that was, I don't know if that's how that works. I don't. Yeah, it was very much treating it like a radio. Right. But that's not how it is, I right? I don't think like, so. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever been anywhere at any point in time, even back that early, I don't think I've ever been anywhere where, like, I heard somebody else's phone call, especially not to the level where, like, like they're now on my phone. Right. Like, not just where you get some sort of interference. It's like... No, no, no. Now you're the one talking to them. Like, that's how flipped it got. Right. Also, when he goes to the car phone that is now picking up his call with Jessica, uh, it's like a douchebag lawyer who's driving the car. And I, I think that Porsche must have sponsored this movie because there are several Porsches in it. Between Porsche and Nokia, mm -hmm. those are the main sponsors. Right. Probably supposed to say Porsche. So. I don't know. Okay. It's spelled Porsche. So I'm saying Porsche. Um, but anyways, so it's like a douchebag lawyer. And it's like this guy who was on a ton of stuff around the time just playing like the random douchebag. My favorite line that he says is, why don't you pull my subpoena out of your ass? That makes no sense. Like, why would somebody like stuff like, well, I mean, why? Mm -hmm. Are you that no confused by like how <laughs> when someone says shove something up your ass? Are you really like? I just don't understand physically what they're asking people <laughs> no, to do. No, I'm not saying that, but I mean, like, a subpoena is like, why would he care about a subpoena? Like, that yeah, doesn't make sense. I don't know. I mean, again, I think that, like, there's a lot of loose understanding about how things work. Right. I think people are just writing about it without understanding. They don't yeah. know how cell phones work. They don't right. know how, like, lawyers handle things. Right. The other thing that I noted about the lawyer is that his license plate was... Will sue you too. W L S U U two. So that was great. The other thing is that when he stops and and tries to get you know the phone from the guy or get him to help the hostage or whatever, he talks about how he makes six hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> he's you know it's, he's that type of character mm -hmm. or whatever. Later that lawyer is trying to get his car back because now like Chris Evans left his <laughs> like he ended up carjacking his car. He took it to the airport or something like that. It got towed. It yeah. got towed. So now this guy is trying to get his car back. And instead of paying the towing fee, he is like, and it's like, it's cheap. I can't remember how much it is, but it's like $60 or something like that. Maybe less than that. Yeah. 
uh, something that somebody who makes $600 an hour could definitely afford. And he was like, there is no possible way I'm paying for this. I understand that like if your car was stolen, mm-hmm. like you were literally like held at gunpoint and someone stole your car that you shouldn't mm-hmm. be paying if it was then right. impounded. But you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer who makes $600 an hour. You can figure that out later. <laughs> like, exactly. You can get reimbursed. Like you don't if it's have more to important that you have your car, then get your fucking car and deal with the rest later. Right. But instead, since he's there fighting with this like attendant or whatever for the towing company, his car gets stolen again because surprise, surprise, Chris Evans needs his car again because he left his original cell phone in there, which then he's able to call back the number. Isn't that how it works? Yep. So this whole time, the whole premise, the entire premise, the tagline of the movie <laughs> is if the call drops or whatever, she dies. Mm-hmm. That's clearly not true. He right. didn't have to do any of the stuff he did. Like, you know, he has to like try to force his way into getting a, a cell phone charger because obviously they're so rare. Right. Because somebody shot in the dark hit. Yeah. He mm-hmm. has to steal a car because he needs the cell phone that's in it. If the whole premise is that you can call back this number because it was saved in your phone, then like What's up? And you know what? I know for a fact it was saved in his phone. You know why? Because there's a line that I wrote down that happens later in the movie Mm -hmm. where he is now talking to Jason Statham Mm -hmm. because, you know, eventually they cross paths Mm -hmm. and he knows that Chris Evans is trying to help this woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he says, quote, modern technology is amazing. My phone remembers the last 50 incoming calls. Okay, so here's the thing. That's hilarious <laughs> that his phone remembers only 50 incoming calls. <laughs> but if his phone remembers 50 incoming calls, and he knew that from the very beginning, mm-hmm. this Nokia brick phone can, one, take HD video somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. And has the storage to save those videos. Mm-hmm. It also can store the last 50 incoming calls. Mm-hmm. He has at most received like two calls. Mm-hmm. Of the most recent ones, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Jessica Biel calls him mm-hmm. one time. Mm-hmm. And then he is just on the phone with this random woman. Mm-hmm. He could call back. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do any. Like, the whole premise of the movie falls apart because he has that <laughs> capability to call back a number. Mary Cohen, you're so close. I don't understand. I guess the, <laughs> I guess the premise is that maybe the phone won't ring because it's broken. I don't know. Like, maybe there's no way for her to answer it because right. it's broken. Yeah. But she was using the receiver to talk to him in the first place. So, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, I mean, I don't know how you answer a broken phone, but I don't know how you make a call from a broken phone. Right. So. <laughs> how do you feel the drinking rules hit? The drinking rules, I thought were all pretty good. Yeah. So, definitely whenever they say Martin, that happens all the time. Yeah, because it's the last name or mm-hmm. whatever. Not only Jessica Martin, but Ricky Martin, too. Mm-hmm. Um, cops shown in uniform or I mentioned. I don't feel like we hit that every single time that it happened. I feel like it happened more than what we drank to. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, there's a lot of cops in this and the, even the people, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, they're all over the place. Right. I mean, anyone gets on or off the phone, like, is the entire movie. Except for him, who, <laughs> who tries to not get off the phone. But yeah, the, a lot of yeah, other people. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Getting in and out of a car is also a really good one. So yeah. What are you reading this one? Well, I will say before that, if I was going to add a rule, what mm-hmm. I would add is anytime that they tease William H. Macy about he's like retiring from the police and become like opening like a day spa or something oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. So it's like his wife wants to open a spa. Mm-hmm. But because of that, 
you know, it's like the early 2000s. And so every like every one of his all male police co-workers is like, hey, buddy, you're going to work in soap and lady things like like it's a running joke throughout the whole thing. And then he has to always be like, no, like that's not what this is. Like this is a, a nice thing that we're doing. And like, you know, he gets his uh, seaweed like face scrub sent to the precinct or something like that. And they all right. make fun of him because he's ordering face wash. Like right. it's that whole thing. But that is a running thing throughout it. You even see him at his new like spa or whatever that they're trying to open. Definitely a, a something to drink to if you want to add one more rule to it. Right. In terms of rating, mm-hmm. we did find out that these movies are directly connected. They're not sequels or anything like that, but they're directly connected mm-hmm. by the writer. Mm-hmm. And the writer wrote them to be similar in theme. But completely opposite movies. But, but, but completely opposite movies. In terms of which one is a serious thriller, Phone Booth, 100%. Mm-hmm. This movie, it was also trying to be a thriller, but it was not so serious. Right. It's clear that this one was written to be a little bit more fun and comedic. I think overall it was more enjoyable, but it wasn't as good of a movie. I agree with that completely. Right. So that's going to affect my rating. I would give it a 65. Okay. I think that's higher than I gave Fun Booth, right? Yep. Again, this is a perfect drinking movie. It was really fun. Probably one of the more fun drinking movies that we've done recently. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a bad movie. Mm-hmm. As we've just said, there are so many things that don't make any sort of sense. The plot doesn't add up. Right. The acting isn't great from almost anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's a really fun movie. I agree. Because it was trying to be a fun movie, I have to weigh that. I agree. Right? I completely because, agree. Like, if the writer intended it to be like this, this isn't like a Nick Cage situation, mm-hmm. right? They intended us to think this is light and comedic, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, kudos to them. So you gave it a 65. I'm giving it a 62. So we're very, very close. Yeah. All the same reasons that you said. Here's the other thing. These two movies, they're both short. Yeah. You can watch both of these movies in less time than it would take you to watch one Martin Scorsese movie. That's true. <laughs> like The Irishman. You could watch mm. this and still have like 30 or 40 minutes left over. Right. And you'd be drunk if you're playing drinking games. This is a good time. Right. Because it's an uh, hour and 20 minutes for the first, hour and 30 minutes for the second. Perfect amount of time. I agree. Well, next week is my week. Yep. I'm really excited about my choices. And what are your choices? If we know me, we know that I love either a late 90s film or a musical. Mm-hmm. I don't think you've chosen any musicals since we've started recording. Oh, we did. Greatest Showman. With- okay. Well, with music. With music. Yeah. <laughs> but music wasn't a musical. No, it was a massive a movie is what it was. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about Greatest Showman. That's right. Yeah. So... I really just wanted to go back to that, you know, been really feeling hard about wanting to get back to a musical. So I thought I would go with one of my favorite movies of all time as my good movie, which is Singing in the Rain. All right. We've watched that before. It has uh, Carrie Fisher's mom in it. Debbie Reynolds. Yep. Yeah. So I think that was the first time that I had ever asked you to watch it. But if I remember correctly, you fell asleep. No, I didn't fall asleep. It's not that long of a movie. It's not that long of a movie. No, I know for a fact I didn't fall asleep. Okay. Well. We also watched it because it was when Debbie Reynolds died. Yep. And that was not long before Carrie Fisher died, right? I just very distinctly remember watching this with you. In my head, you weren't actually watching it. No, I definitely watched it. Oh. Well, you're going to watch it again. Well, there you go. (laughs) So, Singing the Rain, one of my favorite movies from 1952 with Gene Kelly. 
Debbie Reynolds, and who's that one guy that I love that I always forget his name? Like the comedic uh, one? No, yeah, Donald O'Con- Donald O'Connor. That's his name. Uh-huh. Man, so good. I always had, I still have this dream that one day there will be a live local production of Singing the Rain, and I will play Lena Lamont. Okay. Because that's all I want to do. All right. Anyways, so to go with my bad movie, my bad movie is kind of a bold choice because it won Best Picture in 2003. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. Chicago. So anyway, so Chicago from 2002. I have a long history with this movie, and I'll get into it in the next episode. But this is a very weird show in that like every single song from the show is a classic. I love it. Will claim it as some of the best musical theater songs ever. The writing and the acting for the rest of the show is shit. <laughs> and as is the movie. So the movie is a musical, right? Yes. And Chicago was originally a Broadway musical. Yeah. And it's played and at places before yeah. that I've seen yet. Yeah. But I didn't know if the movie itself was still. Oh, yes. And it's great. Like the movie has excellent musical numbers and whatnot. But ugh, a Renee Zellweger, I, I know she's supposed to be a great, but. I haven't seen her in one thing that's made me been like, oh, she deserves this claim and, and money and fame. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, I don't think is great in it. Richard Gere, I'll give a little bit. He is, he's eight in it. The best person in it is John C. Riley. I did not know John C. Riley was in it. He, he is. Huh. So. Well, but here's the thing. So you're saying that this is the bad movie, mm-hmm. but it won an Academy Award. It not only won an Academy Award, it won the Academy Award for Best Best Picture that year. But it's bad? In my opinion, overall, it and the entire show put together is bad with iconic, wonderful music. But it's not as bad as like Moulin Rouge, which is another movie that we watched before this that, again, won an Academy Award, Mm -hmm. but in which a lot of people think is like the best movie ever. Even people today think that that's like their movie, right? And it's their, I thought like, it was until we recently re- rewatched it. Yeah, but that movie, there's a reason some people could think it's terrible mm-hmm. because it is ridiculous. The mm-hmm. whole thing is like being on LSD. Like right. the whole thing is is crazy. Right. Chicago, to my knowledge, is not like that. It's not. So is there going to be anything funny about watching this bad movie? To me, yes. I think in watching Renee Zellweger act ever is hilarious. Okay. If anything, it might not be a funny, bad movie, but I can definitely give us some really great drinking rules. Okay. So I'm excited. Yeah. That I get to watch two movies I really want to watch. <laughs> so that will be our next one. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs>